on a Friday. Halford Brough, Sportsnet 650. And Thomas Drance's music in a different way. We have referred to him as the Tiny Drancer before. There's so many options. We got a voice. We got to get you back in the studio. Get you in front of a real microphone. Get your voice all warmed up. Drop those dulcet tones. Yeah. I have to have the right surroundings. It's true. We've only got one. We need more uh, in the chamber. By That's the way, Jason Bruff singing, by the way. Uh, Sweden and Spain going down to the wire. Thank you. Nice work. Good yeah. research. That's World Cup qualifying, by the way. Not the two countries fighting one another. They're not at war. Okay. Uh, to the phone lines we go in a minute. Before we do that, we need to tell you about uh, the official automotive. Not automotive. I've said automotive before. That's wrong. It's the automotive sponsor of the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The Delari Group. The Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. If you're looking for something to do this weekend, go to Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. Uh, ask for our good buddies Jordan and or Dustin. They'll show you around the showroom. Maybe get you in a new car. Maybe you can be in that hashtag sedan life. Who's to say? Uh, visit them now. It's the Delari family of Acura dealers. Uh, to the phone lines we go. It's the tiny Drancer himself from the Athletic Vancouver and the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Thomas Drance on the Halford and Bruff Show. What up, Drancer? Boys, that Elton John drop was the lift I didn't know I needed this morning. Thank you kindly. You did need a lift, didn't you? I did. It's a tough one right now. It's a tough slug. I don't know if you are aware of this because you're going to be on the radio in a few hours yourself, but uh, the fan base is not happy. No. How, how could they be? They couldn't be. How could they be, right? I mean, <laughs> this is an all-in season and the team looks like this. Has there been a moment in which they looked playoff caliber, frankly? Right? I mean, they've won games. They've won games. But a lot of those, those wins have been like the Seattle game, you know, where it's like, oh, yeah, they gutted it out without the puck and then scored late. You know, like, at what point, at what point has this team beat anyone of consequence or, or even just strung together like the type of 60-minute effort you know, where you say, hey, look, like, that's what this team should look like. That's what we expected. They're figuring it out. Like, there's just been nothing. It's been brutal. And, and you know, now now I see on my Twitter timeline anyway, people are squabbling about who to point. Like, is the roster good enough? Like, yes, it is. It's the coach. How can people say it's personnel? You know, or, or, or vice versa. Like, fire the coach. It's not going to make that blue line any different. Like, you're still going to have one of the worst. Like, everyone is pointing to, you know, or looking at who to point the finger at. And, and I mean, realistically, you know, the thing that a win like that, like, or sorry, a loss like that really sort of brings into relief or like the, the reason it's sort of dangerous for an organization that's trending in the wrong direction is that you sort of wonder how ownership thinks about it. And I think for a long time, people have wondered how Canucks ownership feels about, you know, a, a rebuild that's taken eight years um, that's been fitful, uh, incoherent, frankly. Um, you know, uh, if, there's, if there is a plan, it's certainly hard to detect and certainly has never been explained. Um, you know, as all these chickens come home to roost and as the club puts in a performance like that, like, you know, we, we know from the Twitter feed, <laughs> we know that so long as they're close, so long as they're battling, it's probably not, you know, high up on their radar. But in the event, like how, how much longer can ownership abide this level of performance from an organization that's going nowhere in a hurry? I mean, that's sort of the big question that a massive loss like the one last night uh, poses in my mind. The bickering on Twitter is frustrating, first of all, because it's bickering on Twitter, but also, mm -hmm. in a way, 
everyone has a good point. Honestly, if you want to blame the players and say that their best players aren't good enough, you're right. Yes. If you want to blame the coach and say this does not look like a well-coached team and the special teams are a disaster, you're right. Yep. If you want to blame the general manager for putting together this roster with obvious holes, <laughs> you're right. And if That's you want to blame the owner for the philosophy of how the Canucks have gone about their business for the last eight years, you are also right. So where do you start? Start at the top. Like, start at the top. And, and here's why. Here's why. You especially. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't have a ton of time for a lot of things that this organization has done, managerially speaking. Like, I, I see some issues in terms of, player deployment and certainly I, I tend to say that special teams are more on coaching than five on five form. Um, I mean, that's, that's not a kind way to put it if you're Travis Green and his staff. And certainly I, I think we're at a point where we do have to wonder like, can the Canucks best young players hit franchise player level? But, but fundamentally this team's issues for me date back to, you know, early October, late September of 2020. Right. I mean, the, the club decided to keep the lights on for the 2021 season with, with no fans being in the building and uncertainty about when the season would even begin. Um, they lost every key, every unrestricted free agent they had that year. They didn't extend the coach. They didn't open extension talks with their best young players at a point when it would have been natural following a, a significant amount of playoff success. Um, they didn't bring in the type of depth goaltender that would have allowed a player like Mike DiPietro to get meaningful development time. In fact, they didn't really bring in enough NHL depth at all, uh, causing the cl- club to play, you know, Mark Michaelis and, and just like a butt, like, you know, Mark Michaelis wasn't just playing, he was on the third line, right? Like, he, he wasn't just playing, he was playing big minutes. Um, and that was sort of true up and down the organization. Like, it took, you know, a PTO and months of lobbying for the club to finally sign Travis Hamannick. I mean, you, you, when, when the pandemic hit, and the Canucks all kind of went to work, right? The coaching staff went to work. The players went to work. And then you go into a bubble for six, seven weeks and win a couple of playoff rounds. And then you, a decision is made not to be competitive at all, but to you know, just try and keep the lights on the next season. Like that's, it's a little bit of a betrayal, right? It's a little bit of a betrayal. And, and, and for everything to then unfold the way it did in 2021, with the Canucks being understaffed, um, with them being the single worst team at managing the actual challenges of the pandemic. And, and you know, some of that's uh, an indictment of the team. Some of it's just what happened locally. We had a bigger third wave with the P1 variant than most places. Um, we certainly had lower rates of vaccination than many places in the States, but it still happened. Uh, and you get to a point where veteran players, guys like Nate Schmidt and Braden Holpe are, you know, praying for an opportunity to get out of here, right? Like it just, the whole thing gets ugly. And then you come out of that season, you come out of a season in which you are seventh in the all Canadian division and you decide, and you decide, in fact, let's keep everyone we have currently in leadership roles, which is immediately going to create a credibility problem locally, right? It makes a loss like the one that they dealt with, with the avalanche feel like more of the same for me. That's, that's also what elevates the target up to ownership. It's like this sucked last year and you've decided to stick with the same look, the same basic re- people in response in positions of responsibility that, that, you know, makes your judgment, the big story, at least from my perspective. And finally, finally, you get to this point where they then decide let's go spend, 
let's go spend. We don't have a ton of cap space, but we can throw some financial might around. We'll bring our AHL team to Abbotsford. You know, a, a year a year after it would have like really been helpful in terms of player development and staffing our 23 man. Let's you know, we'll be a wash in cash deals for you know quad A guys. We'll really build up our depth at that. You know, using that. Um, let's take on um, you know fifty-six million dollar liability in Oliver Ekman Larson. Like let's spend now. And here's the problem: is you get into a moment where you have changed your big picture operating philosophy from a from a organizational perspective twice in about eight months, and that's how you get into really bad spots. Like that's how you get from no, we can't afford to even make an offer to Tyler Toffoli to let sign Pearson for three years. That's how you get from, you know, um, we can't, you know, even come close to matching that Markstrom offer in Calgary. Let's sign Braden Holtby. Now let's buy out Braden Holtby. Now let's sign a bonus-laden deal for Yarrow Holak. Like, none of it makes sense as a through line. Um, you know, when you get to that point, like, I, I just don't think, I don't think the recent history of this team has been consistent coherent or sensible enough for us to have expected much else but the sort of gong show that we've seen through the first 13 games what do they do now like where i where, 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 I, I almost feel like sometimes we're in two different worlds because and, and i'm talking about how mike and i do our show here today there's what they should do and what they're likely to do and right. oftentimes those things are not consistent, right? Yeah. Well, sometimes sometimes what I do, Jason, is I think through what I would do, what's the most logical approach here, and then I, and then I sort of pick what, what's the opposite, and then I just assume that that's what they'll do. Um, that's my trick. Who do you think – who do you think uh, – I mean, at what point does ownership lose faith in Jim Benning? Because Francesco Aquilini came on – this station and really stuck up yeah, don't for diss Jim. Him. Like, yeah. yeah, don't diss him. If you want to diss anyone, diss me repeatedly. Happy to. Repeatedly. Happy to, <laughs> <laughs> repeatedly talking about how um, he believed in Jim's vision and he believed that the real Canucks were the team we saw in the bubble. That was the, and that was just like a constant talking point that last season, last season was the anomaly. Right. When, so in fact, at this what team's p- been in the mid twenties every year for the last seven years, with the exception of the season that ended too quickly. Right. Like the, the fact is that other than in his first year, no Jim Benning general manager, like no team managed by Jim Benning, has made an eighteen play or like an eighteen Western Conference playoff, right? Um, since he joined the organization, or since the first year after he joined the organization, so dating back to 2015-16 season, like that's a long time ago, boys. So I just wonder, you know, what is the what is the you know I I've had chats with 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 you and and others offline, and you guys have been like I, I I've asked the question like at what point does do they make a decision on Travis Green and maybe bring in a new coach? And you've kind of pushed back on that. And I apologize for bringing our private chats into the public no, airwaves no here. But, you know, guys that I consider more in the know, more. more in the know than me, have pushed back on the fact that Travis Green could lose his job. Do you still feel that way? Uh, the, the, then that's sort of what a 7-1 loss 
brings into the fore, right? Like the, you know, the way you originally formulated the question, right? Before outing the, before outing what we're discussing in the group chat, right? Please do um, not we share were, everything I say on the group chat. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll make sure to continue to treat that as a safe space for us. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, thing, the way you formulated the question like, was, at what point does you know, Francesco or ownership lose faith with um, you know, the direction from Jim Benning? Like, it's not possible, right? There is a limitless capacity, clearly, a hive mind of sorts, between... Uh, Francesco and Jim, right? I mean, I mean, clearly, clearly, he loves having him as his Jim, right? Because, because how much of Jim's vision is actually ownership's vision? But, but also, but also, at, like, there's nothing that's been acceptable about the last six, seven, eight years. You know, I mean, as much as you want to point to like a couple good draft picks, right? It's like it's not even like the team's been gangbusters drafting. Um, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's no reason for um, you know, anyone to look at what's transpired here and say anything but that, you know, that sucks. Like, it's pr- pretty, not, pretty much not good enough across the board, right? Um, and yet, at no point has the faith been significantly tested enough for, you know, um, for Francesco to, to actually make the type of change that, you know, might, might help. So, you know, I, I don't think, uh, it, I think if change comes, it will be because, you know, the external confidence of Vancouver ticket buyers reaches a point that it has to, or, or that, you know, someone elsewhere, like in terms of the organization of the family insists on a level of quality that, you know, the club just hasn't cared about it all over the past decade. So, you know, as for green, um, I mean, they just extended him, like they just extended him. And, and I think there's also a, you know, high, high regard for his ability uh, among ownership too, clearly. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that was like just um, a, a Benning led decision. Like Green's my guy. Like I think ownership likes him a lot too. So, you know, I, I don't think it would be a decision made lightly um, to move on from either. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see, like, I think it has to get really bad. I think it has to get to a point where it becomes a, an embarrassment for them to make that type of change. And, and then I also think with the way that they're positioned this season, you know, with, a team that's going to be really hard to unmake, right? I mean, they don't even have much cap flexibility this offseason. Like, this team, what they've built kind of had to work. And to this point, and we're only 13 games in, it just hasn't. Like, it just hasn't worked. So, you know, it's going to be hard to undo or unmake or change direction on that team without launching an additional or, like, a second-wave rebuild. And go check out how that's fared in Buffalo. Yeah. Go check out what fans of long-rebuilding teams have in terms of an appetite for a second phase of the rebuild, right? I mean, it's it's ugly. Um, or or you have to, you know, change the voice behind the bench and hope that a guy who's, you know, pretty clearly bright, <laughs> like, pretty clearly a bright coach, uh, is the problem. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the logical place to go, you know, frankly – is to is to try is to try the new bench boss first because the pain of the second conclusion, um, you know, it's it's not just like short term pain either. It's it's long term pain that this organization would have to commit to enduring and hopefully enduring with you know more discipline and uh, and a and a more robust plan to make it pay off on the other end than they did the first time around. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the residual effect from last season in it because now it's starting to 
come to the forefront like in a variety of ways, which I think is fascinating. And I'm not saying like a ghoulish fascination with COVID and Brandon Sutter, but that's one of the residuals of last season. Totally, it's, yeah. Um, there's also the actions of Nate Schmidt and Alex Edler, who chose to go elsewhere. In Schmidt's case, yep. forced himself to go elsewhere. Did you see the remark from Braden Holtby to, I think it was Patrick Johnson at the province? Yeah, four that, years. That, that little quip, it was... Someone was asking about his time in Vancouver, and he said, what was it, a year and a half? Felt like four. So, yeah, well, it definitely wasn't a year and a half. It right. was like so, six months. I know, so it felt even worse. So yeah. <laughs> it went from being six months to a year and a half to felt like four. I've got to think that the they have not exercised the demons of last year very clearly when there's this much angst and residual effect from it. Yeah, I'd agree with that roughly. I mean... I would. Yeah. I think the, I think it's really tough. I think it's really tough to, you know, and I've seen it personally, right? Like I've seen how it can snowball in an organization that doesn't have the regard of the players. You know what I'm saying? Like I've seen that occur and you know, I, I do, I do, it does feel a little bit similar. Uh, you just need so much to win in this league. Like you do, you just need so much talent. You need so many, so many things to go your way. Mm-hmm. And in manufacturing that you, you do kind of need guys to believe in a, in a plan like above and beyond what's even reasonable. Right. Yep, like, yep. you know, you see that, you see that all, all the time, a team that can get that right. And I think when a certain level of trust, a certain level of trust is violated between a dressing room in an organization. I think it takes a long time and a lot of smart moves and like a lot of talent and a lot of winning, like a lot of like pure winning, like to restore that belief, that trust. And the Canucks haven't done that winning. And I do think they broke that trust uh, after the 2020 playoffs. So yeah. I mean, where does that leave you? Like not going anywhere in a hurry. Well, cause, cause guys talk is the big thing. And if you look at the roster over the last 12 months, there's been mm-hmm. so many ins and outs that you're going to have guys coming from different organizations who have friends in different organizations that are like, this is how things were done here. This is how things were done there. And then everyone comes to Vancouver. And I was joking around earlier, like Ekman Larson and Garland must be looking around and being like, what the hell, man? Yeah. I thought I thought at we least got, we could golf in Arizona. Yeah, like I thought we got away from the dysfunction. And I mean, you talk about going. They've been the two. I would say two of the three best players, two of the four best players on the team totally. this year. And they're probably looking at this and saying, "Wait a minute, this was supposed to be our redemption story. This was supposed to be our salvation. We were going somewhere where hockey mattered, and it was a frenzied market, and the team was on the grow, just like Springfield, because because <laughs> uh, the, the the guy in charge said it was." I mean, we've got the audio, right? And so I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, wait a minute. You know, there's got to be something more at play, and there always is. And you bring up a great point. There's so many things that need to go right to be successful. But with everything that's happened over the last 12 to 16 months and the constant churn and the guys that have left with a foul taste in their mouth, and clearly something's going on that ain't great, uh, it does (laughs) alarm bells, really. Uh, Yeah, although, you know what, I would say anything that the – not not that not that this is a, not what we've described as a walk in the park, but um, it's still different than Ekman Larson having to handle and be the face of the players responding to X arena relocation totally, story. Totally, totally, right. I get that. So like, and and honestly, you can kind of see it on him on the ice. Like, not not that he's happy with losing or whatever, but has there been a guy you're more confident is whistling on his way to work this season among the Canucks <laughs> players than Oliver Ekman Larson? Sure, I, right? get, it. I, I mean, get it. I get it. I get it. Truly. Yeah. 
you know? So, you know, I, yeah, no one wants to lose, right? Like I'm not saying that those guys are, are happy or satisfied or what have you, but considering that, you know, Garland did what he did for the Coyotes and they never opened extension talks with him, right? I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that would, would have been a personal insult to, a, to any type of proud hockey player, particularly uh, one as competitive as Garland. Um, you know, at the end of the day, what happened before he got here, I don't think is coloring his perspective. And Ekman Larson, I think, had, you know, eyes wide open coming into this spot. And I think he's seemed, based on his demeanor, based on my interactions with him, um, like if there's one guy who's had fun this year, it feels like it's him. So, um, you know, their their dynamic, uh, you know, I don't know how much it's impacted by sort of the wider dynamic, which which for me, um, you know, when when I sort of discuss it, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit more about the guys who are still learning the league. Uh, I'm thinking a little bit more about Vancouver's young core. I'm thinking about their best players and, you know, a, a group that to this point, I don't think has been at expectations. And, and I definitely think that contract holdouts and injury issues and, and on and on have played a big role in that, probably a bigger role in that than any um, dissatisfaction or drama. But uh, that's sort of more the group that I'm referring to when I, when I look at and say, look, like I think you had to experience sort of the high of the bubble, the sacrifice that was entailed prior to and during, right? And then the off season, the early part of the off season of 2020, when it just became so apparent that there was no money being thrown around um, and that the club was going to do X, Y, Z, losing a bunch of guys you had a ton of regard for. Um, you know, uh, I think that was sort of the key part where, you know, things really began to, and look, I don't think it was going great before this, to be totally honest with you. Like, I think there's a lot of indications that 2019, 20 might've been this club's high watershed regardless. But I do think that the a, a lot of what we're seeing in terms of this club's downward trajectory, um, you know, can be traced back to that month. We've had a lot of time. I'm hesitant to read this text, but we've had quite a few on this subject. And I wanted to throw it, throw it by you, Drance. Yeah. Uh, unsigned text. As a listener, I'm confused how quickly the media has turned. Why not mention how the media was so up on the Canucks and we're at this point now? Um, I, 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 I can't stand this. Be, well, I, well not can't stand, but it frustrates me a little bit because when people say like, quote unquote, the media, it's like, my opinion is not the same as every other media member that follows the Canucks. And, and in right. fact, the media, there are, there are wildly divergent opinions on this team. I will say I was wrong about the Canucks top nine or whatever you want to call it. I thought they'd be good. I thought it would be a, I thought it'd be a dramatic improvement. That being said, I was worried about the right side of the defense. I was worried about the PK, but I guess <laughs> yeah. as opposed to like trying to, I don't want to be defensive. Like I don't want, no. I don't, it's not, it's not attractive for the listeners. They don't like hearing it. <laughs> so I guess I would ask, I would ask like, what did you, what do you think you got wrong about this team? What did you think maybe would be good and hasn't been good? I mean, I didn't think this team would be a playoff team. Well, I'll so, jump. I'll jump in. I thought they were going to be. I'm. I'm very surprised at how poor they are. Uh, whatever the texter is referring to, I'm more than willing to own it. I predicted at the start of the season that the improvements offensively would mean that they would be able to outscore some of their problems, and I thought they'd be a entertaining, high-scoring team. To be, I think that's how I right, classify that's, it. Right. That's that would be the thing that I'd say I got. So I, 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 I yeah. Got so most shocked by. And I'm. I'm I didn't just, expect. Yeah. I didn't expect like the problem one for this team right now is the PK. Obviously, but problem two is that they're not generating enough 
scoring chances five on five, like not even close. That to me is a surprise. And then, and then sort of contrasted with that though, is that the Canucks middle six, right? This pod Coles, now that pod Colson and Garland have started to fire a little bit, the Canucks middle six has actually outperformed my expectations. So when you talk about the top nine being good, I was like, you know, I thought it would be pretty good. I didn't think it would be very good. Like I thought it was being a little bit overhyped locally, but the, but the fact is, is that the middle part of that has actually shown up above my expectations in the early going. It's just that there's nothing from the top. There's nothing from Pedersen. And that, that has been a big surprise to me. Like, you know, I I was a little bit worried injury wise uh, about what Pedersen would look like. I definitely thought that he'd be, rustier and and that it might impact him more than your average player uh coming in after missing eight seven eight months but i didn't expect um you know the, him besser and miller t- together to be this ineffectual at five on five that's been a shock to me i definitely thought the blue line was going to be bad i thought the defense was going to be worse to be totally honest <laughs> with you i also i also wasn't convinced that the canucks's goaltending would be elite like i thought they'd be probably good but I mean, Demko's never had a chance to be a full-time starter. He's only a nine. He was only a nine eleven career guy yeah, going yeah. into the season. Like I'd actually say, what, here's what's scariest about about all of this, gentlemen, is in a lot of ways there's been a lot of Canucks who have exceeded my perform my my expectations, and they're still bad. Yeah, they're they're nothing like what I thought they would look like. Is the most simple way I can put it. Yeah, nothing. I'd like agree it. with that. Yeah, okay. Uh, if, a PSA for the listeners here: uh, If you enjoyed the last twenty-four minutes of uninterrupted radio, you're in luck. Drance is back for the Canucks Hour at eleven o'clock, <laughs> right here on Sportsnet six fifty with Jamie Dodd, where I'm sure you guys will continue some of the many narratives we've laid out here. Drance, enjoy the rest of the day. Good luck on the show today. We will talk again next week. Thanks, boys. Can't wait to spill some secrets in the group chat. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to it. Although tonight is all Canada soccer talk, just so we're clear. I know. Yeah. I'm very pumped. Oh, Harm exactly. says a lot of stuff. Eh? Very. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. guy. Harm, Woo. shut up. Wow. <laughs> See you, Drancer. Calm down, buddy. See you, boys.